Good morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and today my guest is a good friend of mine, Billy, and he's here to talk about a topic that was actually requested via poll from uh, one of our listeners, and that is Transcendental Meditation. Um, I've known Billy for many years as a member of the film community, and it was uh, on one of our previous times working together that I came to realize that Billy practiced TM on a regular basis and that meditation was an important part of his life and his process at work. I was only vaguely familiar with TM from watching some David Lynch videos uh, and reading his book To Catch a Big Fish, but it was getting to talk to someone who practices it on a regular basis that really helped me understand sort of not only what TM is all about, but also the benefits behind it. Um, I think we're all somewhat aware of that with when it comes to meditation, but it was it was always fascinating to have deeper conversations with those who incorporate this into their lives on a regular basis. So uh, without further ado, my guest today is Billy to talk about Transcendental Meditation, and I hope everyone enjoys. So you've been, so just so everyone knows, you and I know each other from the film world. We worked with each yeah. other a couple of times now. And I I did a thing on um on Instagram a story and I just said hey you know I'm gonna I'm gonna break up this podcast into a couple of seasons give me the opportunity to enjoy the holidays and maybe change things up and I asked what what is something that people would be interested in hearing about because I touch on lots of different topics um not just spiritual stuff but sort of the range of things that are are relevant to our culture and someone asks about meditation in particular transcendental meditation and i thought well i know someone firsthand <laughs> uh, and so i thought of you mr billy how are you today i'm doing well i'm doing well thanks for uh thanks for having me on how are you doing i'm good i'm good i'm I, it's like negative seven out here in upstate new york at the moment oh, yeah that's right You're yeah upstate new york. i woke up to uh the power being off so that was fun nice but uh it's fixed now and we have light and there's warmth and so i have no complaints in that there regard yeah, I feel like I feel like meditation is one of those things in the last I mean it's I say recently, it's been maybe fifteen years now, ten years certainly, where it's a term that people have come to sort of accept and, and it's not so it's not so foreign to folks to hear about meditating. But that being said, I do think the process of meditation is often misunderstood. By people, I think most yeah, people definitely. sort of us. Yeah, I think they they assume it's like I'm going to sit cross-legged and I'm going to empty my brain of all thoughts. Then I'm going to stay in this prone position for you know hours on end, yeah. and then they they try it, and of course they think about elephants, and they think about work, yeah. and everything else in the world. Uh, what was it about meditation? What was it about that that sort of drew you to it, and and what's your experience with it that sort of um, clears up some of the misconceptions about meditation? I mean, I had a lot of the similar experiences. Well, I mean, I got into it. It's funny because yeah, when I was a kid, it wasn't really uh, well known in the U.S. or at least probably was, but I don't know. I mean, I used to love watching martial arts movies and <laughs> martial arts and everything, and it was always like in like kung fu, and there was always like this kind of chill warrior who like meditated, and then you know. So I think that's actually how I got 
sort of into it. And I was always, I guess, drawn, you know, spiritual things and uh, like Native Native American shamanism, things like that, or just mm-hmm. growing up. And so, and then I took martial arts when I was younger and, you know, they'd always have you meditate at some point, but no one really told you what to do. You know, it's like, right. all right, sit quietly for a few, or, you know, they kind of did, but, um, and you always felt like, yeah, like I could never empty my mind. I could never do any of that. And it, yeah, it felt like a waste. And you, even at home when I would do it, I mean, I've been doing it off and on, you know, since I was probably my teens, um, you know, just as a trying it, you know, like I said, in martial arts, things like that, but also, um, you know, going into, I used to do a lot more like hiking, backpacking, camping, you know, that kind of thing of just sitting somewhere quietly for a while, um, you know, enjoying like a stream or just the, you know, the wind going through the trees, you know, that's always been, you know, a peaceful place for me. I know it's for probably most people, but, um, and that's kind of like what it sort of means to me now is kind of, uh, I mean, as I eventually, you know, I was doing it and I was trying to really work hard, you know, in the film business, try to keep some kind of routine Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and also sort of read a lot and just different things, self-improvement, things like that. And a lot of, you know, meditation was starting to actually come in more into the the mainstream or it has been for a while, but, and I was aware of transcendental meditation, but it wasn't something that like when I was younger, it was, yeah, meditation was also sort of, I don't want to say frowned upon, but wasn't really um, something, you know, you're weird if you did it, you know, it was kind of woo woo hippie stuff. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it wasn't until later, you know, I don't know, like 10 years or so ago, I, I mean, I've been doing it. I started to do it. You know, when I get up in the morning, I usually just have a time where I, kind of sit around with, you know, maybe a cup of coffee or maybe not, but just don't think for a while or just kind of hang out and just sort of a form of meditation. And then there was a period where I decided that, you know, I should, um, but I always kind of struggled with how other people, you know, what you said, you know, you sit down in your mind, you think about work, you think about all the stuff. I could never empty my mind. And it wasn't until I took TM that I kind of realized that that's the goal, but it's not really where you start from. And I think that's where a lot of people have trouble with it. Mm-hmm. You know, you expect to like to sit down and kind of have an enlightenment or whatever. And for me, it's more of like a, it's almost like if you jog or you work out or something like that, it's kind of a mental exercise that, or, you know, relaxation that you do a couple times a day that just kind of helps keep you sane in a lot of ways. Yeah. I've heard it described once where um, when you, when you're actually present, the moment you realize that you're present it's done now everything else you're thinking of and it's interesting that you did martial arts because as you know i do jujitsu or at least when i don't have a neck injury i do and um you know one of the things i love about martial arts and in particular jujitsu and i was actually just talking to a coworker about this yesterday is that in the moment when you have a person on top of you or or trying to strangle you or twist an arm or limb it's amazing how clear your brain gets. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing when you're in a, in that position, how focused you get on the matters at hand. And I think that people, again, like you said, I mean, I think of it to now, like when people think about meditation, they think it's this like new agey hippie woo woo thing. And it's just sitting still, but really what it is, is just trying to be in the moment and focus not in an illusion of the present, uh, the, sorry, of the future or the past, and there's different ways to go about it. And I, and I, 
because I did, I, I think everyone does this. They sit down, they meditate, they, they're stressed, they're anxious. Certainly in the business that you and I do, there's stress all the time. <laughs> and you, you can't help but allow those thoughts to just, you know, penetrate your consciousness. And then you get frustrated and then you get up and then it's almost like a, the more you try not to think of something, the more you do. Yeah. It sort of sticks it there. Um, I remember we were working together on a film set and during lunch, you, you stepped aside to take your 10 minutes. And I thought, you know, it's uh, sometimes there are things that are so obvious, but you don't re- recognize them until you see them. And the idea that you would just take 10 minutes of your lunch break to just, you know, sit down and clear your head or, or just focus or just empty it out for just a moment, or at least go through the process of unraveling that tangled web of, <laughs> of thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's so essential. And yet, I mean, I, I'm still bad at it. I do try to do it now. Ever, ever since, yeah, ever since I saw that, I was like, you know, if I happen to have a trailer, I'll, I'll try to clear some time in the morning and, and sit with myself as well, or, or even on the drive to work, but it's difficult sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the hardest one. You know, when you do TM, you're supposed to do it twice a day. And in the morning ones, it's already easy to do. You just have to get up earlier and do it. But, um, yeah, it's that one when you're on a set to do that, like kind of lunchtime afternoon, which is actually in some ways the best one because I don't know, it just seems a lot, you know, the end result feels a lot better because, yeah, you've come off of like the first half of the day and you're sort of stressed. Maybe you have a big mm-hmm. second half coming up. And, you know, I just started to do it. Well, part of it is, you know, when you do TM for a while, it's, things start to kind of fall into a little bit of a rhythm, or at least that's been my experience. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of hard to explain, but, um, but you start to sort of find the openings and when you sort of make yourself do it, but what happens on a film set, as you know, when you break for lunch, let's say you do a half hour lunch, you really do a 45 minute lunch because you have to wait till everybody goes through the line before you call it a half hour. So you've got that 15, 10 to 20 minutes waiting for the last crew member to go through. And, um, you know, I started to, you know, as an AD, I would be like, I'm just going to disappear for 20 minutes, you know? Cause usually by the time I hate waiting in line anyway, I don't really like to eat first. I usually like to wait till the end. Um, so it kind of worked out. I'd be like, you know, I'm just going to go hide and I'll just meditate. And then when I'm done, I'll go grab my food and join everybody. And by then, you know, there's no line. And, and that's kind of what I started doing. And it really helped me tremendously as an AD because, you know, earlier on in the career, plus I started eating a lot better, which helped, but <laughs> it's like, you know, I eat lighter, you know, and, um, and uh, what I found was that just that second half of the day where I used to, you know, after lunch, you'd be sort of bogged down from eating lunch. And it's just like, oh, God, I got to get going. And when you're the first AD, or actually any AD, you got to be the person who brings everybody back up after lunch. Mm-hmm. You have to be the energy. And and it's really hard if you, um, you know, eat a big lunch, kind of hang out or whatever. So I found that like doing that, like meditating and then eating uh, definitely just worked a lot better for me. And and. I came back in the second half of the day, just clear headed. And I think that's as an assistant director, I think that's one of the harder things because there's so much activity going on, even on a simple day or there's problems or there's minor adjustments or something changed or, you know, you're on a schedule, you're usually always behind. Um, so it just kind of helped me with the second half of the day a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. and then just, you know, when you do get in a rhythm of doing it twice a day and it definitely helps a lot the stress level and you just feel better. You feel more positive. I think part of it too is you don't really realize like how much of your energy is going just to thought, just 
mindless thought bouncing around. And I mean, sometimes it's mindful. I mean, a lot of times it is even when you're working, but um, sometimes it's just a different way of looking at things where you sort of look at it clear headed as opposed to, you know, kind of in crisis mode or just problem solving mode. You just sort of like empty your mind and let things come to you a little more. So I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny. Um, earlier, first episode of the season, I talked to a, f- a fitness coach and a nutritionist, and we started talking about our relationship with food. You know, not just our personal relationships with food, but sort of as a society. And one of the things that I struggle with, as you, I'm sure you're aware, we all do, is that because a film set, you're usually starved for sleep, and your stress, your cortisone levels are spiked, and so the natural inclination is then to eat to feel comfort. And to eat uh, in abundance and to eat generally poorly, right? Just because you want that instant gratification to just, and that that's a sort of acts as sort of a mellower in a way. And, 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 and it's less so now, I suppose, but in another time period, the cigarette break or the whatever, right? The drink after work and to bring everything down. And yeah. not that there's anything inherently wrong with any of those things, but um, it does, at least in my experience, there was a period of time where, Every day after a set, I'd come home and have two or three scotches just to like mellow me out. Yeah, I've been and in then, that place. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, I have, I've always had insomnia. So then you're looking for that thing to trigger your sleep, you know, to rest, really? which of course is difficult when your, your mind is full. But I, it would make sense that if you're taking the time to reset right before you eat, then you're probably less inclined to eat in it that helps. sort of starved state. That yeah. stress state, uh, which will then, you know, your you personally will be less sluggish when mm-hmm. you come in from lunch, and then so you can bring that energy back because it is part of what you're experiencing. Yeah, and it gives you a minute, like instead of you know, kind of getting in the line and kind of rushing through and picking a bunch of stuff, you know, it did make me more mindful uh, and just take a you know to take them all. This is pre-COVID, of course, when mm-hmm. you know there was like a salad bar and things. Like I'd walk right. down there and kind of walk around more and look at everything before I just kind of jumped in line and got it. And I just sort of, well, what I also did was I sort of try to give myself some default settings now too of like it's, at lunch, I always eat a salad or I try mm. to always eat a salad now, like no matter what the catering is, mm. you know, I'll do that. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll, I don't want to say I'll cheat, but sometimes I eat fish too. But, um, you know, I try to be mostly vegan and, um, but I still do eat, you know, occasional dairy and meat and things, but, um, but I think it definitely helps, um, taking that little break in that moment, regardless of whether it's meditation or just kind of getting away from it. I, I think in the film business especially helps because when we're shooting, the days are pretty much long. Generally, you're always going to be working at least 12 hours on most sets, you know, generally more, especially if you're in production. And I think if you don't take that little break, because there is a lot of pressure to not, you know, it's like there's yeah. lunchtime meetings, there's sort of, you know, you can work on the schedule. There's so many things you can do. Um, but I think it's so helpful when you do it. Um, it, it just, uh, I think being able to approach it, I think that what happens too is when you have too much going on, you do tend to move toward the negative side, especially when you're sleep deprived or if you're not mm-hmm. eating well. And I think that, you know, part of what along with, or what went along with me kind of meditating was also just trying to, you know, make sure I protect my sleep that I'm getting seven, eight hours whenever possible that generally when I'm on a show, like from when I start prepping to when I end, I try not to drink at all. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even on days off, I mean, yeah. you know, I try to, 
because it, it is tempting those days you've had a long day and you come home, I'll have a glass of wine or I'll have a drink. And, you know, it never, problem is you get in the cycle, you don't really recover from it because the next day you're tired. And right. you know, I try to just, um, you know, abstain from a lot of things when I'm working. I've just found it like helps because it, it being clear headed and fresh in the morning is, you know, is, is the best. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Before. It's almost, it's almost, I haven't gone there yet. I'm not quite yeah. there, but I, I'm at least conscious of the fact that when you're working in the film or really any long project, but I, we'll speak to film because that's our experiences. You almost have to treat it like you're an athlete. Exactly. You know, like if you listen to, I'm not a Tom Brady fan per se, but you know, Tom Brady, for example, will mostly be plant-based during the football mm-hmm. season. I'm yeah. sure he probably meditates and he probably makes sure he gets his sleep and everything to be optimal at your at your performance. And it, beyond film, there's just this culture. And again, I've fallen into it as well. And I think in, sometimes in film, we pride ourselves on how much we can abuse our bodies. Yeah. You know, how, how little sleep we can get. I've, I've done it. I've caught myself saying like bragging, like, oh yeah, I can get by on three hours of sleep or I average six hours of sleep and, you know, I've slept in trucks and I've done, you know, you start listing all the things that you did because there is a certain pride that comes from being able to get through hard times. Yeah. But at the same, but at the same time, there should not really be value placed on abusing oneself and 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 seeing how bad of a car wreck you can put your body right. through and, and stand up and walk <laughs> away. Yeah. And okay. yeah, and I feel like as I'm getting older and frankly as my body is less able to get through that car crash in quite the <laughs> same way, I am finding myself needing some form of reset. And for me, uh, I'm going to try it on this shoot where I can slip away for lunch and take 10 minutes as well. But I, I, I oftentimes I don't do TM per se, but I, I do a different kind of sort of ritual work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I lean into ceremonial magic, which is a form of meditation in its own right, where it's a lot of uh-huh. visualization and there are certain hand movements and there's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Vibration of like, a of, um, holy names that you that you do Mm. the process can take anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour and a half two hours depending on the uh the scope of what i i'm choosing to do on a work day it's probably the 15 minute version on Mm. on the weekend it's probably the longer version but i have found that even doing that at the end of the day helps me let go yeah of of everything that i did that day and and help me to recognize that holding on to all those thoughts isn't going to get me any further down the line. Right. It's, it's just going to exhaust me in the same way that drink, although it would be nice is, is, is probably not going to get me where I want to be. There might be a momentary exactly. something, but after that there's the residual aspect of it that, that lingers and, and exhausts you more. Yeah. And, you know, I got, I think you hit the nail on the head with treating yourself like an athlete. I think that, in reality, what we do is, and I think what a lot of people do at work, you know, not just us, but um, it requires this blend of both physical and mental capability, especially when you work on set. I don't work on set so much anymore, but um, it is almost like being like a quarterback or some kind of athlete when you're out there and because you're either on your feet for long times or even if you're in the desk, you're sitting there. And, and I think that it's really easy to lose touch with a lot of that because there's also you know, in the film world, there's that constant pressure of getting the date on and, mm-hmm. you know, always, always 10 pounds, you got to put in a five pound bag, so to speak. So yeah. I think it's very easy 
and I think when you're under stress too, it's very easy for things that aren't as important to seem really important. And um, that's where I think a lot of where it helped me. And sometimes it also can be challenging because other people around you, it's sort of like, you know, you're the one with the clear head when everyone around you is kind of in chaos more mm -hmm. and you're trying to keep them, you know, on task or however. And sometimes even the people you're working for may not think that you're as focused, but you know, it's cause you're not freaking out and you're not stressed. Um, but I think it's important to like have that center and to be able to go back to that center too. Um, and one thing I like about it is it is that reset. Um, and a lot of times, you know, you, you said about not holding on to thoughts and I think about that too, because there's times I do it, you know, at work, I'll try to find, you know, when I was on set, I'd always scope out that place, you know, like where's that little nook in the set where I can hide, where no mm -hmm. one's going to see me. And, and now I don't have that ability so much in an <laughs> office, but I, sometimes I can close my door, but, um, but you try to find that little part, but it, what helps is there's a lot of times when I will be thinking of something or something I need to do or a call I need to make or uh, something that needs to be addressed. And I will be like, I should do that before. And I'm like, no, just meditate, you know, and what I've also learned too on set is you sort of have to go for it because if you wait for the right opportunity, it's probably not going to happen. You're going to get interrupted constantly. So mm -hmm. if you feel like there's, there's usually that lull around lunch, you know, where you can figure it out where people stop calling you. And so what I found is like, I'll get in there and after, you know, I do, well, TM is 20 minutes generally mm -hmm. the rule um, or what you're supposed to work to. But, um, and then you kind of like, you know, some days it's better than others. You know, some days you, really find you kind of get in the zone right away and other times <clears throat> you don't ever get it at all you know your mind's kind of working but it but there's a part where you sort of find those thoughts that you were holding on to kind of melt away and become sort of you become kind of detached from them mm -hmm. and and you're able to see them sort of as and more objectively and that call that you had to make that maybe you're stressed out is just a call you need to make you know and so like when you kind of come out of it when your 20 minutes is done you know, I mean, it takes a minute or two, but um, I feel like you just approach things. It's like you've just had a good night's sleep, you know, it's just more of yeah. a fresh, you know, perspective. And it feels like it takes a lot of the edge off of a lot of those thoughts and things that you were stressing out about suddenly seem very like, um, I don't want to say they're minimal, but they just don't seem as threatening. Well, I think it's it, it's it lends perspective in ways that you generally can't get when you're in the middle of the battlefield. Exactly. It's sort of the difference between being the soldier, just to, just to pull that thread of that analogy further. Like it, it's like being in the middle of combat, being a soldier or being the general, right. right. Who, who's back at uh, base camp and, and looking over the, the map. And uh, when you're in the thick of it and, and for me, like I have a, I get very easily annoyed by being stepped over. So mm -hmm. when people are in panic mode, they're just talking over you. And, and uh, right. you know, yesterday I was in a meeting and I had to sort of, assert myself because I just <laughs> could hear we're talking about COVID stuff. And of course, COVID is just a, a nightmare to deal with in these days. Yeah. And I, uh, I just had to say my friend, Dan, have you met Dan Campbell? I forget if you met Dan or not. Is Jude's partner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Dan, Dan has a saying called knife hands. <laughs> sort of instead of pointing, you sort of just sort of do this sort of a tomahawk right. chop sort of hand right. signal. And so I had to just sort of knife hands my way into the conversation. Be like, no, this is what we're doing. And this is what we're going to explore. And, and this is the way we're going to go about it. But I, I, in, in, I, I was proud that I didn't go at it from like a, a an annoyance perspective per se. I just sort of asserted myself as I needed to do to get order and let it be that it didn't 
take it personally. And, and mm-hmm. you know, even though I don't, I do a different sort of ritual work than you do. I think the, the effects are very similar in that yeah. it, it allows you that perspective that uh, when people are stressed on set, as an example, it's not personal. They're not, they're not angry right. at, you know, you or me. It's, it's the, it's the nature of feeling the, the stresses and pressures of the enormity of the project. And, and the deeper you get in the weeds of that, um, and, and then on top of just normal things of the world that you've got to think about COVID and dinner and what happens when you get home, or maybe you're away from home or all these aspects, it just clouds your ability to think mm-hmm. and recognize that people are all on the same team. And I think that's another sort of added benefit of that sort of people hear the word detachment and they think negative, but I don't think it's inherently negative. I think it's just, you're no. taking a step backwards. I think, yeah, I, I think you need to be able to detach yourself too. I mean, it's sort of the the joke of, you know, like we're not saving lives on set, but you know, everyone thinks we are. But, yeah. um, and you know, when, when you're under a lot of stress, your mind, it can do weird things to you. You know, I mean, I remember my younger days times, I mean, there's stuff, you know, back before I was in this headspace um, where, you know, I've been, you know, knife hands maybe a little bit more than <laughs> I'd like to, to have been. And, um, you know, part of it too, is it's, you get put in a lot of pressure situations and, and the fact that we also generally are free- freelancers, there's more pressure in that, um, you know, hey, if this job doesn't go well, you may not work again. <laughs> you know, yeah. or at least that's in the back of your mind or these people won't hire me again or this is a great opportunity. And now it's getting screwed up, you know, like so I think that that's another thing that meditation has helped me with. I think um, part of it's probably getting older and more experienced. But, um, yeah, I think when you being able to just have that detached point of view. And I think also one thing that does come with experience is, you know, you generally know, okay, we're going to make this day or we're not going to make this day. And if we don't, then this is what we're going to need to do. Or we need to start thinking of plan B's, you know, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. where your head needs to be. Um, You know, like losing it and placing blame or trying to like, you know, I don't know, you know, you get to a point where, like you said, there's a lot of people, stepping on each other to figure it out. It's like, you need to really be able to detach yourself and just say like, here's the best thing we need to do. Um, you know, that's happened. If it's bad. Okay. We just got to live with that. We don't want, we don't like that it happened. We got to make sure it doesn't happen again. We have to learn from it, but we need to move forward. And the best way to do that is sort of calmly and rationally. Right. Um, or at least a way to make the decisions. You may not want to move calmly and rationally forward, but uh, <laughs> you might need to move aggressively and quickly forward. But um you know, and I think also, like you said, and I also think in the age we're moving into, too, we have been, you know, when you and I probably are earlier days and a lot of people in the film business, it was a lot more um, or a lot less kind. And, yeah. you know, there was a lot of slack given to people that were hard asses and in people that were old school. And, you know, I think that's kind of gone away. And, um you know, and I mean, I remember when I came up, like first ADs were sort of a lot more feared, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think some of them still are. And, um, and you do need a captain of the ship, you know, you need somebody who's pushing it. But I think it's like, the one thing meditation helps me with is to be more articulate, because I'm not like, my stress level isn't so high, and I'm able mm-hmm. to think before I speak, which I found that like, the less I speak, generally, the better I do. 
<laughs> or at least like, you know, like, uh, I mean, I don't want to say like the less you say, but there's a lot of times I think that, you know, being in charge or being in the conversation, you know, you don't always have to be the most right person or the most, um, the loudest or the first to have an idea. It's more about collaboration and, um, finding the best solution. And I think that's one thing that, you know, being kind of in a meditative frame of mind, or at least when you're less, you're not in a stressed out place, but you're more centered. I think you're able to be more open-minded to what other people have to say mm-hmm. and hear se- several voices and try to find a middle ground or say, like, you know, or make the decision of like, no, we're not going to do that, but at least you've heard everything and you've sort of seen it. Um, and I think that's, you know, better from a leadership perspective. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, you know, when I came into this industry, you know, I was taught predominantly by Jude who, you know, grew up in the old, old sort of (laughs) method of filmmaking. And um, although, although Jude's a pretty Zen guy, that, that sort of older school mentality is just gone by the wayside and for better or for worse, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone make your own judgment on it, but there is much less of a sense of I'm in this position. So I'm just going to, I'm going to give the orders and mm-hmm. you're in this position and you're going to go execute the order. It was, it was almost very militaristic yeah. in, in the yeah. way that I was brought up. You know, I, I, yeah, I just, I distinctly remember when I was a coordinator, I, I screwed up uh, keeping track of Jude's mileage, who was my boss. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, he dressed me down Jeez. and, and he basically was just like, you know, I, I was in my, late twenties at the time. And so I'm questioning stuff, right? Cause you know, that's what you do. Yeah. That's what you do. And, and I remember very distinctly, I'll never forget this. I'm sure would you listen to this? I'll have a chuckle. Like <laughs> he, he basically said like, I don't need you to question me. I've already, I've forgotten more than you're going to ever think to ask me when I tell you to go put that flag on that Hill, you go take that flag and you go put it on that Hill. That's it. Like that. I don't need this back and forth. I don't have the time for it. I'll find someone who else who can. And I, I don't I don't think that's bad that's a bad lesson yeah. to learn. I in fact right. quite the opposite. I think it's a very good lesson to learn. But that being said, that methodology of delivering said message probably doesn't fly in this day and age. Again, and for better, call from HR after that one. Right. For better or for worse. I'm not making a judgment on it, right. but it just is a different world. And so as our world advances or progresses or at least moves in a direction, whether you consider it progression or not. <laughs> you have to develop your techniques in accordance to that. And, uh, you know, I, I was just listening to a different podcast the other day that was talking about this sort of idle chatter that we often do. You know, we just chat, we talk to fill, to fill space in the air. And, and, um, as I progressed in my career and I moved from being, you know, a second AD and a, and a coordinator into now being a line producer and a producer, I find myself, far less likely to be on set. And the reason I do that is because when I'm on set, I want it to matter. And so uh, in the same way that you're saying, maybe speak less and it goes further. Mm. Sometimes when you, when, when you're not f- filling the world with a lot of idle chatter, when you do speak, it's like that old, I think it was, uh, what was it Teddy Roosevelt speak low and quiet and carry a big stick. Yeah. Carry a big stick, yeah. yeah it, it, it holds more weight and, and uh, you have the time to formulate what you actually want to say. Because I've caught myself in a moment of stress where I will not only misspeak or, or speak less efficiently, I'll actually stutter. 
my to get my words out because I'm just you know this is the, the, everything's yeah, moving too quickly for my body to move at that pace. Right. Um, and I do think that that meditation and resetting and, and and just collecting one's thoughts can allow you to slow it down so that not only are you speaking with intention, but it's being delivered so in the in most optimal way to be heard as you intend it. And and conversely, like you said you're listening to things mm -hmm. in the most optimal way as the other person intends for you to hear it. And, and in that exchange, you're able to find common ground and move forward. And you don't necessarily have to tell someone to go put a flag on the hill. They'll just, <laughs> they'll just know from this interaction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, well, that's almost a whole other podcast about, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I mean, and it's funny because I know Jude is like the most Zen guy. I don't think I've ever seen him lose it. So, um, yeah, I think it's funny when you say about, you know, like, I just need you to go do that. Mm -hmm. I don't need to question it. I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things in our business with people. Um, and sometimes they see it and sometimes they don't, you know, and unfortunately a lot of times they don't, or they wouldn't ask the question, you know, right. um, but it's hard because you can't, unfortunately phrase things like that these days <laughs> when there's time. I mean, where I think it would help a lot of people if you could, I mean, I don't know, yeah. being rude, but just be like, look, I just need you to do this. I can't explain it right now, but you know, people feelings get hurt pretty quickly these days. Um, so you have to be more diplomatic, but in some ways I like that too, because I always want a new challenge. So if I have to find a way to like, you know, to do it at a more, uh, a nicer way. I mean, I try to anyway, I think yeah. and I try to like bring people on, you know, it is difficult though sometimes because we just, you know, go from project to project. And for example, this last one I did, I really didn't know, knew almost nobody on it when I got on it and, you know, got on kind of late and, you know, it's already about to start shooting and you're behind and you, you know, things need to happen quickly. So yeah. sometimes it is hard because you have to make decisions quickly and you also need to implement them. And, you know, if somebody's not on board with it, um, you know, it can be a problem. Well, one thing I've, yeah, one thing I've done in, in the last three, two or three shows, maybe last couple of years is when I come into these circumstances where I kind of just need something done. I've actually just told people, look, I'm happy to explain this to you. I just can't do it right now. But if yeah. you, if you, I, I'll, there was a story, um, I was working on a set just last year and I had an AC who was questioning everything. And um, I said, listen, I'm happy to, just to go grab a beer or a coffee with you on an off day. And I'll sit and explain everything you, any question you have for me, you know, um, I, I will, I will sacrifice some of my personal time. If it's, if this means this much to you, if you really just want to understand this, I'll take that time and I'll, I'll explain my philosophy and I'll explain why I'm doing this and I'll, I'll clarify the intent behind it, but and but the well, only thing I'll ask as a trade-off is that you that you give me to a weekend or after hours to do so because in this moment there's a lot of my plate and if I don't if I spend too much time on this I'm not going to get to everything else I need to do mm -hmm. and I found that it, that's fairly well received and it's never taken up on no yeah. one's ever actually taken me up on that but but in that moment I think at least they appreciate the fact that I'm not trying to be a dick i'm not trying to hold anything back uh, i'm not doing it out of my own need to to pump up my ego it's simply a a, a matter of uh workload 
and yeah. and time that's allowed for this and and there are just certain things that to take the time to explain everything to every single person who feels like they're owed an explanation nothing would get done and so it's just a matter of efficiency but again on a weekend yeah. if someone wants to go take me to Denny's or Starbucks or whatever. I'll sit, yeah. I'll, I'll explain all the philosophies of line producing or whatever you want to yeah. know. We'll, we'll chat till yeah. the cows come home. Yeah. I mean, I try to be that way too. Not so much as offering the, like that, but I do try to, um, you know, I don't like to be to my way or the highway. I try to like, you know, ask people and then do the kind of the same. Like I can't explain it right now, but or I try to explain it right now, if I can, like if I can do it in a sentence, like mm-hmm. sure. that, because if we don't, um, but yeah, I think that, um, well, I think in general on film sets, you know, which we need more of is just, yeah, people kind of working together or at least like trying to get to know each other more personally mm-hmm. with that. Cause we do get thrown together a lot and sometimes it's hard. You just really don't have the time. Um, so it's, it is about, I think that is where listening can help you a lot too. Like when you're on set, like you said, you don't spend as much time on her and me neither. But I think that if you kind of just get to know people too, a lot of times that helps with a lot of those, that questioning, because once they get to know you and trust you a little bit, right. They're less, you know, they kind of, well, and as you go along, they start to understand your thinking because they see it in action. But, um, but it is, I think that's one of the harder things that now that I've kind of moved into the UPMing line producing role more is, not being on set and not having that connection day to day is a little harder. Um, I mean, you have it with different people, but it's just, you know, the set mentality is just, you know, I mean, it's kind of where I learned the business. So I do love it, but there's times you gotta yeah. let it go, you know? Like, so. Yeah. I, I think also there's, again, I'm sure this exists in all industries, but in our industry, we're so often, like you mentioned earlier, we come onto a set and we may not know anyone. On this set that I'm on now, um, I know one person. I brought a prop master out, or I recommended a prop master come out. Outside of that, everyone is brand new to me. And um, most of these folks, they they do work together or have worked together mm-hmm. multiple times. So it does make me feel sort of like the new guy in school. Yeah. And even though I got hired to do a position and I feel like my resume and my years of experience validate that position – uh, and I shouldn't have to explain my resume to everyone by just by virtue of having that position. Um, I still recognize that that there are biases and and uh, preconceptions that people bring to set, uh, especially you know in the last year where there's been a, a tragedy on on an indie set because of malpractice from producers, and mm-hmm. there's been union negotiations that didn't really go the way that most people in said union hoped and uh, just just the world in the last couple of years right. and and politics and we're, we're at a we're at an age of of division and atomization maybe more than we ever have been or certainly more than i've recognized and so folks coming in with those bias they have to be dismantled Mm-hmm. Whether whether you feel like you have you should have to or not, they just simply do. It's just the reality of it. So you know the camera team or the grip team or the whomever comes in and thinks, oh, it's a producer trying to fuck us. Well, guess what? Whether or not that's true or otherwise, it's it's incumbent upon you if you want to be the most efficient you can be to dismantle that mm-hmm. and earn that trust in some in some way. And what I really have found because I, I had a couple of years of of what I would consider very rough shows where there was a lot of clashing 
between me and various groups, either uh, the creative teams or whatever it may be, you know, the director. And, and uh, I think what I had to be honest about is that it wasn't just other departments coming in with an anti-production opinion and bias. It was me coming into set with the God damn, this crew's being annoying mentality. Yeah. And that, that then influences my responses. It, it influences my reactions. It influences my nonverbal communication. Like you're going to read it that I'm, I think you're an idiot. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I recognize that. I, and I, I had an incident where I had to talk to HR for a very similar reason. <laughs> and I said to them, look, like I, I don't carry bias on set. I treat everyone equally, but I'll be, if I can be honest and fair, probably I'm equally treating people with a level of crankiness that I probably don't really want to, but let me explain why to you. And in that process, I realized, okay, when a department asks me why something specific to their department is being budgeted to their department. And I think that might be a very foolish question or response. Me, whether I'm consciously doing it or otherwise sort of metaphorically rolling my eyes is going to elicit a response that I don't want. Mm-hmm. that's really not what I want to do. And when I was in retail, I worked with a friend and he said, he gave me some, uh, he asked me a question, which has proved to be good advice, which is, do you want to be, do you want to, do you want to get what you want or do you want to be right? And, and oftentimes yeah. those, those things can't be uh, in unison. And so again, all these complications in communication and, and, and dealing with personalities and, and learning to work with folks whom are, in many regards, perfect strangers. It's so much more difficult to do that when you're not coming from it, coming from a place of clear headedness and and sort mm-hmm. of mindfulness. And also, I think that a sense of oneness. And I know that various meditations are different, and and some sort of lean more heavily into a spiritual side of things than others. But for me, as I've gone down my own spiritual path, and as I've I've come to embrace the idea of oneness, that there is really no Dave and Billy. It is us and we are one and we are no thing. And, and that, that means that's, that is, that is included in everyone. We come across the person who cuts us off on the freeway, the, you know, the, the person who's bugging us during our breaks, all these things that we're all part of one source. Once you start to embrace that, for at least for me, it's a lot harder to be an asshole. It's it's just you start to be more mindful of the fact that you're sh- you there's a there's a sharedness there's a singularity between these two seemingly opposing forces that mm. if you recognize that the opposition is trivial. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think the one thing, yeah, well, especially living in LA, you got to like um, and in the business and just with all the the level of just the contact you have during the day or any big city, I think, or any, you know, and our business, you know, between leaving, driving to work, working, coming mm-hmm. home, you know, it's just, there's all these opportunities to sort of get into it with people. I mean, or potentially, I guess it's one way, but I think one thing, you know, meditation, I guess has helped with me is that I do tend to, when I go out in the world or when I go to set, I tend to go with more of the open mind, more of like the feeling of oneness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get too woo woo about it or not even really spiritually. It's more just, um, I think it's more just like a feeling of well being, And it just helps me with a lot of those interactions because 
I, I know what you mean about it. it's times it's very frustrating as an as assistant director or as a manager, you know, when you're being questioned about things like I don't mind questions and I want to help people when people are really like just being kind of difficult or at least in your eyes they are difficult mm-hmm. um, when you need to get something done. And I think it is helpful if you tend to, um, I forgot who said it, but you know, if you want to be understood first, seek to understand mm. like that. So it's like, I try to approach it from that point of view. Um, it's, it gets a little trickier when you're dealing with the money though, because uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, that doesn't really fly with the studio when you're like, well, you know, I didn't really want, you know, I was feeling really one with the camera department. So I gave <laughs> all these, you know, way over budget on their stuff. Um, right No, but I think also part of it too is, um, you know, the more, I guess, prepared and relaxed you are like, like, I think, you know, information is always power. So what I try to do too, is, um, learn as much as I can about everything uh, mm-hmm. around me. So, you know, it might be for the camera department, like going through the budget as specifically as possible and trying to anticipate what I'm going to get asked for mm-hmm. in addition to that, you know, or, you know, knowing, um, you know, what their additional, you know, crew days are for the, well, when you're an episodic, um, you know, on a television show, you know, per episode, they might have, their regular budget, then there's an additional allotment for whatever gear or people. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that stuff, I think I try to get to a real shorthand with a lot of that when I can during prep of like for all departments is getting to know like what's, you know, in their, in their budget, what their crew looks like, try to get to know them all by name if I can. Um, and then I think to try to be able to, um, if you kind of know all that, it helps a lot of times with those discussions too, because, um, and you probably, I'm sure know this, but, um, just for the audience, uh, Mm. the more, you know, the more in, you know, in the environment, like for example, you know, I just did a show out of town to, you know, for six months and I wasn't as up on my distant location rules and just the different union rules of where we were and everything. And then, you know, by the end of the show, I I knew him, I think pretty well. And it, it really helped with my decision-making, but also, I wasn't afraid of being questioned about it because I knew. Right. So, you know, if somebody or if a department came to me like, look, you know, we're bringing this person in from out of town and, but they're not quite far enough to get a hotel room. Can we get them a hotel room or, you know, it's this deal, this deal. Like I can make that decision of like, okay, we really need that person. They're probably not going to come here, travel here if we don't give them extra. So yes, in that case, yes. You know? And so, but I think, um, you know, a lot of that does come from, well, it's experience for one thing, but also I think being clear headed helps a lot, you know, because you are, and I try to be approachable as much as I can. Um, it's funny because I, after we wrapped this last show is stand at talking with the first AD and the producing director. And he was taught the producing director was talking to the first AD about directing. And he said something and he's like, you know, cause when this guy shows up on set pointing to me, he's like, <laughs> you know, they want you done, you know, to be out of the, you know, like he wants you to finish you're behind, et cetera. And I was like, it's not really why I show up half the time because you know? <laughs> I want to watch, you know, or like, or I, you know, get out of my office or I do come, but I'm not really trying to be that um, person hovering over somebody or I'm not trying to be that bad guy. And I think that's a little bit harder for when you start moving to like product, well, ADing too, but production managing line producing, producing is you start to get seen differently from the start. So people tend to maybe, you know, your presence for you, you just might be there hanging out. And for them, they're like, why is he here? You know, is he checking right. on me? Is he watching me? And like, 
So, yeah, I don't know if um, I've added anything to that, but I do think that, you know, kind of just to keep it back on the subject of meditation, um, I think that does help you sort of recognize the oneness and everything. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. And I don't think of it so much in, like I said, in a spiritual dimension, but it does feel like when I regularly meditate twice a day, that things just go better. I like yeah. things seem to fall into place. I, and, you know, probably a lot of it is just because I'm going into situations more clear headed and or also you just tend to become a little more organized and like, cause your mind isn't bouncing around. You're kind of working on what you need to work on. So I think that that's um, helped me um, just in those kind of communications and, and just being, you know, more present for people and not going in with a preconceived notion of like, Oh God, what do they want? You know? Yeah. Um, well, it, it, it makes you aware. Yeah. So even the awareness of knowing that when you come on set, it 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 can potentially arise tension or anxieties with within people, can let you know, okay, I need to I need to you know subjugate that anxiety. I need to I need to calm that anxiety. I need to ease those worries, and let them know I'm just coming to check things out. Or conversely, you you know, okay, I have to be selective about when I'm coming down here mm-hmm. because I I know that this reaction it may occur and that reaction may lead to X, Y, Z. And it allows, it allows you to strategize your behaviors in a more efficient manner. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I, I think most people don't initially understand about a, a logistical posi- position, like a UPM or AD or line producer, or any of those uh, is that it is inherently creative in its own right. And, I, I would say as a as a filmmaker, when I first started hearing about transcendental meditation, it was through David Lynch. Yeah. Uh, David Lynch has his book, uh, it was like Fishing for the Big Fish or uh, yes. and and he talks quite openly about it. And of course, if you watch David Lynch's movies, he seems like this dark, brooding, weirdo auteur. But when you talk when you watch his interviews, he's actually quite very long. He's a little odd still, but he's a reading his book is what prompted me to actually go take the TM lessons because I was, it was something I was always into. And then I think when I read that, it it sort of validated it for me. Yeah. And, and I like that he, he positioned it and made me understand that you, you don't have to be dark and negative to be creative. Right. Uh, Like I started that, that, that sort of falsehoods are cracking when I was in university, when I read leaves of grass and I read Walt Whitman, I was like, Oh my God, this is like, you know, I'm coming as a child, as a young teen and adolescence from like Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> and then I read Walt Whitman. I'm like, Oh wow, this is just as creative, but in right. a totally different position. And then yeah. when I, when I read Lynch's book, it was like, you can, you can not only be creative and tell darker stories or more surrealist stories from a place of positivity, but in fact, it will make it better for you to come from that position, to free yourself of the negativity. Um, he talks about it sort of being like going for like fishing. If you're fishing yeah. in a shallow pond, the, the the size of the fish that you will be able to catch is very small. And mm. if you're able to deepen it into an ocean, then the, the, the size that you're able to capture can be enormous. And so as it relates to positions that you and I do, when you're looking at that budget and, and you're dealing with executives and yes, you might not be able to say I was fitting one with the camera department and therefore I gave them an extra 10 K, but 
you might be able to approach it from the position of I gave them an additional 10k because it saves here and exactly. that overtime that we're saving yeah. and there's going to be a net and you'll speak the language that they do understand uh, which is oftentimes not creative <laughs> despite right. their titles and because because you're you're the depths by which you're able to analyze and rationalize are so much deeper because it's not filled with junk. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think that's totally true. And, and I do find that I find myself being more articulate in meetings um, in part because I've been doing it longer, but also I do find that, you know, with meditation, yeah, just my head being clear, I find that the words come to me more easily. The, um, uh, the, the ability to make connections comes a lot more easily too. And also mm-hmm. to sort of organize connections, um, which, you know, like you said, yeah, when I talked about doing sort of this kind of budget shorthand shortcut, it enables me to do things. Yeah. Like that, where you say like, yeah, I, okay, I'll give them that because I know this other apartment I'm down and I don't anticipate it going up. I know over here, this will be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, yeah, that I think, yeah, like you said, there's not all that junk floating around. And I think it also helps when you, um, like I found like after say, for example, after the, my afternoon meditation or whatever, like when I get back into things, I kind of knock them out. Like it feels like, you know, cause there is sort of that afternoon where you sort of fade a little bit. And I found that like, it's just really helpful to um, suddenly like, yeah, those tasks that I kind of just didn't want to do, like find myself being done with like two or three of them pretty quickly, you know, like a phone call right. or an email or, or whatever. Um, it also helps. I think one thing it helped me too is, um, it sort of makes me want to systematize things. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't know if that's again, me experiencing the business, but I find that like when I am meditating regularly, um, my life just gets more orderly sort of on the, the infrastructure end, like my emails, my bills, all those things. I mean, they're pretty much, I mean, I've got them pretty much automated now, but I find that like I'm caught up on everything generally, instead of being, you know, having this, you know, lag of, you know, hundred emails, which is hard not to in this day and age and also with COVID, but find like the more I stay in the rhythm, mm-hmm. I just find myself being more energized to attack things as opposed to being like, Oh God, you know, I'll do that later. Um, I find myself being more ready to just jump back in, um, which is really helpful because it kind of keeps you in that sort of in surplus instead of, you know, in deficit as far as, mm-hmm what you're achieving and what you're getting done, you know, you get more, you know, like you're ahead instead of behind. And it's really helpful because it keeps you in that sort of positive frame of mind. And I think it does make a lot of those other um, things better. A lot of those interactions and a lot of those conversations because you're clear headed, not only from meditation, but just because your, your desk is clear, you know, your to do bot, your to do list is up to date. Your emails are, you know, your inbox is at zero, as they say. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, and I think one thing with meditation too, though, is it's sort of like working out, um, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days with it too. It's like some days it just feels like, uh, you know, you don't want to do it. I mean, there's days like I don't get the full 20 minutes in. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't do it. Sometimes I don't do the afternoon one. I mean, it's rare. I don't do the morning one, but, but I just find that like doing it just keeps me much more on track. So. Yeah, well, I, I always operated better with lists 
Yeah. You know, I, I like the, the notion of, of drawing the line through an accomplished task. Mm-hmm. And I find that with my ritual work and meditation, that it's like doing that in my mental space. It's like, yeah. it's organizes everything so that I can move through it in a systematic method rather than uh, trying to tackle multiple things at once and giving yeah. them a portion of my attention, yeah. which, which then denotes a, a fraction of my effort, which often yeah. leads to more work. Right. You know, and I, I think that, um, I, I, have you ever read the book of the four agreements? Uh, who's, I think so. Who's it by Miguel Diaz, Don Miguel Diaz, I believe is his name. It sounds familiar, but, uh, well, it, it's, it's one of those books that sort of, I guess it's self-help or sort of helps right. you understand the world in a different way. But, he sort of explains that the things that guide our life are agreements or truths or things that we have accepted. And oftentimes many of these truths or agreements uh, were given to us uh, by our parents, by our teachers at an age where we were far too young to come to those understandings of our own volition. And so he he essentially says, you need to scrub all that stuff off and reprogram your brain based on things that make sense to you, not based on just what you've been told. And he sort of lays out that there are four basic agreements that if you do these things, everything kind of, that's the framework by which everything else will fall in place. And, you know, the first one is, um, you know, don't take things personally. Uh, you know, what was the other one? But, but um, always be impeccable with your word. Um, um, you know, mind your own business, like stay in your own world. And then, and then the most important one that I took away from, which I thought was so clever was do your best mm-hmm. and and sometimes your best on a monday is not going to be as good as your best on a tuesday and that's okay your best on a monday when you've done proper sleep over the weekend and you organized yourself and you set your clothes out and you get to set a little earlier or whatever not in a rush is going to be different than on a Tuesday when you worked late and you came home and mm. you passed, you know, but regardless of whatever level your best is to strive for that. And then you'll always know you did the very best that you could do. And, and if your very best on a Wednesday is better than your Tuesday, but maybe not quite as good as on, on, as your Monday, that's all okay because yeah. you're, you're doing the best that you can do. And so to sort of, you know, piggyback off your analogy of like working out, some days you go to the gym and you're able to, you're just in the mode and you, you get that great workout. And then sometimes you're like, man, I'm just going to jog for 20 minutes and go home. It's just, that's, that's what I can do today. And that's okay. And that acceptance is okay. Uh, and, and once that acceptance occurs, then that same sense of accomplishment carries through regardless, mm-hmm. you know, you know, because you know, if you, if you sleep five hours a day, your best the next day is going to be much different than if you slept eight. Right. You know, and then you can make decisions to improve your best or at least help control your best so that it's more optimal for you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely one thing I learned just getting older or I think, well, also I think it helps a lot with your stress level too, is when, um, is to not be such a perfectionist that really Mm -hmm. it's more about the, the effort and showing up every day and trying to live by a standard and, you know, or hold yourself to a higher standard and execute and just know at the end of the day that you did the best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's helped me a lot too. And I don't know if that's a product of meditation or just getting older and reading, but I'm not sure if I've read that book, but it does sound familiar. I've read a lot of self-help and self-improvement mm-hmm. books along the way. Um, but 
I think that that's something I had to learn with. Um, I mean, I guess meditation was a good teacher for that in that, you know, at TM that was sort of what they taught in the classes was to do it twice a day, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's definitely different guidelines, but, and I think that's kind of like with working out or with habits, you know, it's a lot of it is just showing up every day and doing the best you can. And I think that if you get trapped in the perfectionism, you know, that's when um, I think causes a lot of stress and when a lot of people hit writer's block or give up, you know, or on things. And a lot of times you just have to keep plugging away. And I think that's one thing I, I also learned in the film business too, is that, um, you know, you're not going to have a great day every day. And it's hard when you're the first AD or the UPM or a producer, because when you have a bad day, it can be bad. Yeah. I mean, everybody can affect the shoot as we've seen in the past, but, um, but it's a lot of pressure, you know, and I think that, um, but I think that's, you know, like you said, the four agreements, I think that's a good place to start too, is just accepting the fact that you're going to show up, you're going to do the best you can. You're going to be a good person. Um, you're going to try to, uh, you know, be honorable. And I think, try to be trustworthy and somebody that people want to be around regardless whether you're on a film set. And, you know, it's not always easy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not always easy. You know, like you said, after you've, you know, like maybe Thursday or Friday or Saturday morning when you've worked, like when you're it's like four in the morning, you're still shooting yeah. and you're like, and you're, you know, you got a couple hours and you just want to go home and, you know, it's not always easy. But I think one thing I found that, um, and I'm trying to remember where the story is from, uh, but it's sort of of like, oh, I remember now. Um, I did this, uh, I shot a uh, industrial, I was an AD on with a self-improvement speaker. And it's actually someone who kind of sent me down this path a little bit inadvertently, but um, but I expected it to be a lot of BS, but he actually ended up being pretty good. But one of the things he said, um, you know, he was doing a this was for business people, but it was sort of about finding your passion kind of mm-hmm. thing, but more of in a business sense of like, you know, doing what you, you know, you're always going to be better at something you like doing. And that, um, at the end of the day, um, you know, but what happens, like, you know, if you're in a job and you don't like doing something and he sort of said, well, what if you just stop doing it? Which sounds like amazingly um, simple, but also like, I mean, well, like my boss is going to shit if I don't do that. But, but what he said is, you know, which kind of stuck with me is like, um, you know, what if there's like a report you do that nobody reads, like, but you turn in everything. He's like, well, just see if like, you know, ask your boss, do you really need to do that? Or just stop doing it, you know, like just mm-hmm. don't turn it in one week and see if anybody notices, you know, which is <laughs> a little bit dangerous, but, but, you know, it was funny because I took that attitude more, you know, as a first AD at the time. I was wrestling with a, a little bit of the, like, oh, I need to be tougher. I need to be more of a jerk. You know, I need to be more of a, you know, the drill sergeant. And it wasn't really who I was. And I think when I, you know, what I've got from his uh, message was uh, like, what if I just don't be that person? What if I be the person I want to be, which is me mm-hmm. and just keep going that way. And um, that's what I've tried to do. And, and, you know, and it's like, I don't, I mean, some people have noticed, I'm sure they don't hire me because of it, but what happens is you tend to, um, uh, gravitate to, or you tend to find the people that are like you and that you like to work with. And so it's like, you know, okay, that dude's a jerk and he doesn't like me because I'm not a jerk. Well then good. He won't hire me again. But this person over here who's chill and can get the job done wants me. So I'll go work with them, you know? And 
and so far it's worked out pretty well, but you know, but I think, I think that we, as a society try to, and this is sort of a byproduct. I don't want to get on a tangent about commercialism, but it's sort of a byproduct of this sort of commercial world that we've built around us where everything is sort of off the rack, you know, personalities are off the rack, uh, cultures off the rack with the, 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 the spirit of individualism uh, is being reduced in one regard in terms of actually promoting people to be authentically themselves. And yet we're so much, we're so much more fragmented than ever before. So it's a weird thing that it's kind of hard to explain, but there's no one way to do something. And you see this a lot in like spiritual circles and uh, where it's like everyone is pushing to do whatever the thing that we're talking about, do it in the way in one way. And if you don't do it that one way, then it's the wrong way. And my way is the right way. And then you start to see how quickly that breaks down into just trying to sell wares. Uh, It's sort of a technique for that. But uh, there's a a quote that I I use often, which is, let success be thy proof. So Mm -hmm. if the methodology that you use in UPMing, managing, ADing, whatever the role is that you're playing, a role of leadership, if that role produces success then it's successful. That's, that's yeah. all you need to prove. You know, if you come in under budget every time, if you come in on time every time, if creatively everyone is satisfied. I, I had a, a mentor of mine once say that our job is to serve and to protect, right? We serve the vision, we protect the budget and the schedule. If those things are accomplished, then, then you've succeeded and mm-hmm. that should be enough. And there will be some people who you have personality clashes with. And I'm sure that happens for me as well, you know. Um, but as someone who is, I'll say, as someone who has worked with you, uh, and who's in, in particularly particular about ads, and I, I really only have a small handful that I, I love. And you're, in, I know you don't do it as much anymore, but um, having worked with you, I'm. It's very rare that I like. The, not only do I like an AD or a person in that position, but I want to continually work with them because I, I like them that much. And there's really only like four or five people <laughs> in my near 14, 15 years now that I've been doing this, like that I, that I really are my go-to people. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you'll find your tribe, you'll find yeah. your people and it will be better because those people that you work with, you will enjoy working with them and the experience will be better even when the project is hard. Before I worked with you over at uh, ATV, I worked at another company that shall remain nameless and I hated it there right. and I was miserable there. And I remember being told that um, I was an asshole, right? That there was this mentality right. and maybe I was at, from time to time, right? But I found that when I left that place, the feedback that I got at other places was different. Maybe some of it was maturity. Maybe some of it was age. Maybe some of it was mellowing with, uh, as I had more experiences, as I I accumulated more experiences. Or perhaps they were just the wrong people for me to be working with. And I found different Mm -hmm. people to work with who appreciated what I was bringing to the table. Um, and, And I think that you're on to something when you just are authentically you. If you're finding success, if you're doing the job that was asked of you, then you're doing it right. Yeah. Well, thank you. And likewise, yeah, you're one of my favorites too. So um, you and Jude. Uh, so it's good to hear. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I think it's probably a little bit of all of the above because 
I think once, you know, we move up, you know, and you've just done it more times, you know, you've, you get more relaxed at it and you know what to let go. Um, but also I do think that, um, you know, it can be, especially in this business, the people you work with. And I know, um, you know, people sometimes get trapped working with certain people for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's for sort of the right reasons they're working on big name projects and mm -hmm. with, you know, great cast crew producers, et cetera. But, you know, maybe the people they're working for are, are abusive or, um, and sometimes it's a matter of, uh, yeah, maturity. And it's also sometimes a matter of just situations, you know, you get put in, um, to a situation and maybe it's your ego, somebody else's ego. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of one thing. Um, I, well, I kind of came into the business a little later. I didn't start like interning until I was like 32. So and PAing, so mm -hmm. I think that helped me a little bit because I'd also actually been a manager at a corp at a corporation or a project director. So I had experience working in teams and with people, and and also in an environment where you can't, you know, just swear or just you know do like yeah. film business where you can kind of dress the way you want and like you know. Uh, uh, there's a lot more leeway that way. You know, I worked in an environment that was a little more conservative. So I think that helped me probably in um, being more respectful or at least mm -hmm. being more, um, you know, I came from the mid, I grew up in the Midwest. So it was much more of like the, the, the blue collar mentality. I worked in restaurants for a long time as a kid, you know, waited tables, I cooked and things like that. So I had more of like, um, I think also a little bit more of a customer service mentality Mm -hmm. um, having waited tables and everything. And also the ability to judge people pretty quickly because you pretty much meet everybody waiting tables and you kind of can right. tell how people are going to turn out. Um, so I think that's helped me a bit more with, um, kind of keeping my head down at times. I also, when I got into the business, I wasn't really looking to be an assistant director or production manager or producer. I was more of a writer mm -hmm. and writing, possibly directing. So I was more just working on set to like, to, um, to work in one of the business, but also it was kind of funny because I had had a corporate job. I'd kind of bounced around for all, and I always wanted to work in the film business. So when I finally got to the film business, it was, I was having so much fun at it that like, it didn't bother me. Like in wide well, weighted tables, I had done, you know, I worked in construction. I'd done a bunch of different stuff. So like people go, can you go get a lunch order for somebody? I'm like, sure. You know, like <laughs> that didn't hurt my ego to like be like, right. I'm going to get coffees for people. Okay, great. Oh my God. I'm, you know, getting paid to like, I don't know. So like, I think that helped me a little bit um, more with coming up and that I wasn't, um, and I was more open to just learning, you know, I wasn't questioning everybody because like it, like I said, I'd manage people. So I sort of thought, what do they want? They want someone to just do what they say right. and then, you know, and watch their backs, you know? And so that's kind of, how I came up. And then, you know, as I started to do it more, I started to like ADing more and, you know, as a writer, I'm a better AD. So, um, you know, I started to just transition into that, but, um, I think that it is helpful in this business and for people who are listening, maybe that want to get into it is I think that, um, the more you can be open-minded and, you know, collaborative and customer service based, I guess, you know, just being willing to, um, you know, do what's asked of you to the best of your abilities, or, you know, if you have a legitimate question or you have a better way to do it, I always want to hear that. Um, but I don't, I think that you'll go a lot farther in this business. If you, these days, especially if like you're, you can collaborate, you can listen, you can 
work with different personalities. You can check your ego at the door, even though there's a lot mm-hmm. of times you don't want to. Um, you know, and there still is some abusive behavior out there, but I think that um, a lot of times it's more like the working <laughs> conditions are just abusive of like working yeah. 14, 16 hours, you know, that people might be fine, but it's just too much work to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then and I feel like um, ha- having that mentality is, is sort of a revolutionary act because it's, it, it flies in contrast to everything that we're taught. We're taught to work through lunch. We're taught to, you know, focus on ourselves. We're, fo- we're, we're taught to uh, grind. I hate that term. It's, right. uh, it burns me when I hear like, oh, grind culture, we're going to grind. Yeah. Well, if you grind your brakes, they, they wear down yeah. and you could get in a car accident. You know, so grinding is not a good thing. And, um, and this, you know, just all ties back to, to adopting techniques, meditation being one of them, that will allow you to shift your mentality in life. And we may not always be able to control the conditions. I may be shooting in sub-zero weather <laughs> in in a few weeks. Um, you know, there are just certain things that are just what they are. Those things you can't change. But yourself, you have full range to work on. And I've said this in other episodes, it's a matter of consistency. It's consistently finding time to check in with yourself, recenter yourself, refocus yourself. Uh, It's like, uh, I'll give you an example. Now I have the benefit of going back with this podcast and chopping out the pregnant pauses, right? Which you get to hear in real time. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming up, they would always say, like, don't look off to the side because it makes it means you're dishonest and right. don't pause because yeah. and as I've gotten older, if I don't take the time to think about what I'm going to say, then I'm not going to say what I really, truly right. intend to say. And so that if that means I have to look off to my lamp to just for a brief second gather my thought before I speak, if I have to slow down my speak just a little bit, if I, and because I've been doing podcasts now for a few years and I grew up not particularly liking my voice or feeling comfortable speaking and, right. and those things, like sometimes when I'm really trying to move from my brain to my mouth and outward, uh, I to gather those thoughts and to communicate them in the way that I want to, I will sometimes adopt sort of a staccato way of speaking. I'm doing it right now. We're like, you, you can see my hand yeah. moving and it's like, I'm moving to a beat, but all those things help me say what I want to say in the way that I want to say them. And that's just different than the culture we live in. And I, whether it's, you know, again, whatever method of meditation one adopts and there are slight differences, I think with TM, it's, it's more focused on the mantra, right? Sort of repeating that and kind of focusing in on that, you know, whether it's that or whether it's like what I do, where it's more visualization and sort of the the movement of, of energy and what have Mm -hmm. you, whatever your methodology is adopting that and implementing it in a consistent manner in your life will then help you change the way that you approach whatever monumental task is in front of you. And then at very minimum, you're going into it with the best shot to be successful, which again, we'll just do our best, right? I mean, what more can you ask? Yeah. I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head there as far as, 
yeah, I don't know if it's, you know, one technique over another, but I think it is sort of having that reset and having that um, ability to detach and sort of pull out of it a little bit and settle your mind and at least get some distance and, you know, maybe just going for a hike or something too. But mm-hmm. um, I think that it's, it is important in our business, especially, and I think probably for everybody this day and age to, to find those moments or find that time, because it's sort of like exercise, you know, you need to, to do it. But I think with your mind, it's like, it is detaching for all because especially now with the 24 hour news and internet cycle and everything, I think it's very easy just to keep going back to your phone for things and everything. And, yeah. and I think it's good just for that 20 minutes or however, whatever you do, whether it's, you know, TM or it's another form of meditation, or even if you just take five minutes, I think, and just make it part of your space to sort of chill out a little bit. I think it's going to help you. Um, and I think that it is also, um, I just think it's kind of like, um, how do you explain it? Um, not like religion, but, or spirituality, but I think there is a, a part of it of just like reconnecting or disconnecting from, you know, your phone or whatever, and just mm-hmm. kind of getting back to the, the universe or nature or whatever, um, or just your mind, you just yourself separated from everything. I think it's, it helps, you know? Yeah, we didn't. We haven't really talked about phone usage, and that's another thing that's probably more so maybe even you than me. But even in, for me, has really evolved in our business, wherein you know you can't step on set without seeing half your crew on their phone at any right. given time, or yourself, right? And 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 it's easy to lose yourself in what I call the doom scrolling, be it on social right. media or whatever it may be, and and those ten minutes that seem impossible to find those 20 minutes that seem impossible to find in your busy busy day if you clock how much time you're spending on your phone and ask yourself how much of that time is is legitimate important Mm -hmm. necessary time versus just sort of time killing yeah i i think it you'll be able to carve out that portion of your day and and invest it in something that's a little bit more worthwhile for you I, I'm still in that process. I have a very, very bad habit of yeah. the first thing I do when I wake up is I check my phone, you know, and um, I'm yeah, trying to get, that. yeah, it's just, it's so easy because it just, your brain, your brain's not even functioning. You probably even haven't had your coffee yet and you're just filling it with data, well, you know, just data you're going to carry with you. Now too, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so, and most of it is meaningless, you know, most of it's empty. And um, yeah. sometimes not. Sometimes, you know, look, I'm not saying it's all bad. Sometimes I'll read like news and articles that I do actually find to be pretty fulfilling. But even those things, do I need to read them at 7.01 when my clock went off at right. 7 o'clock and I haven't even opened my other eye and I'm immediately reaching for it? I bet you, I bet you that spending 10 more minutes where I, uh, I have tried to start doing this thing where I will, I will repeat a mantra of sorts. I just repeat, I am a friend of mine sort of recommended this to me and I visualize light from a divine source being drawn into me just to start my day. And I just repeat, I am. And that's all I do for the first five, 10 minutes. I'm trying to get more consistent at it, but I have found that even just holding off the grabbing of the phone for that five to 10 minutes while I'm still basically waking up starts my day off in a much better place and positions my brain to, to have uh, a different kind of awareness than I would have had if I just got on Twitter and scrolled for those 10 right. minutes on, 
whatever noctis shits on on the internet. Yeah, well, it's kind of a, di- a dichotomy because I have a meditation app on my phone, so it's like <laughs> <laughs> screwed. Um, no, I hear you, um, and I'm just as guilty of looking at the phone too. Um, but I sort of feel like with doing meditation, I'll, I mean, I have a morning routine I do, so that part of it but mm-hmm. um so i mean i take my dogs out in the morning and you know feed them and take them out so that kind of keeps me off the phone for a little while anyway sometimes i look at it depending on um you know if there's something going on i just want to check but i try yeah well i have a kind of a rule of like i don't generally check email first mm-hmm. thing i don't unless i'm like really on an active project where i'm expecting something sure and i don't have that notification on unless i'm i'll do it on projects i can prep or like when we're about to shoot or if there's like yeah busy week coming up or some things that are on, but I try not to have it. Um, I try to turn it face down at times, but it's hard. And, and now it's just some well, on the film business too. Well, probably every business, but there's so many things I use it for regarding work, you know, it just mm-hmm. helps me. So I kind of try to, what I try to do is, it, but I think meditation does help me is it, it does give me those two times a day when I'm definitely not looking at it. You know, and I'll turn it and I'll take my watch off too, so I don't get a notification on my because I have an I, you know, Apple Watch, yeah, um, that I wear when I'm working. But, um, yeah, I think that that's kind of one thing. It does sort of carve out that time on your own, and and what I found too is I try to do things like that where I schedule. I mean, in that case, it's sort of a dual purpose because you meditate plus you get off your phone, but right. But I try to like you know, tag things together. Like, you know, in the morning I'm, I meditate, I read, you know, I usually like, I mean, I said, take my dogs out before my wife wakes up. I kind of do things. Sometimes I exercise then or I do it afterwards, but I try to like stick to kind of a ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of it. And I've just found like, if I don't do it, Oh, I remember there was something I wanted to say was, you know, when you're saying about like, you know, you go to scroll on your phone what I learned, like I was saying in my second, like in the afternoon meditation, I found that like I could just have to do it. And I think that that's something that I would recommend if is for somebody who wants to start is to just like, when you pick up that phone, just put it down and just try to close your eyes and like not think of anything for a minute, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, you're probably not going to get very far, but if you just start doing it and what happens is like, I'll go into this part of like, I don't know if I can get this afternoon meditation in, but I'll just start doing, it. I was like, well, I'll just go. And if I get interrupted, I'll just, come out of it, whatever. And a lot of times I'll end up doing it because I don't get interrupted. Right. I had just waited for the perfect time. It wouldn't happen. So I think that that's kind of another thing too. And I also do sometimes now, which isn't really preached by TM that I know, but I just, I'll just meditate like for a couple minutes here and there too. Like it's especially helpful when like you go to like the doctor or wherever, somewhere you got to sit for somewhere and like wait and like just close my eyes for a few minutes and again, yeah, it just takes you off the phone and like, just kind of like, just empty my head for even if it's for like a minute or two. Um, it's just really helpful. Well, one one thing that um, is, is starting to at least place cracks in my habits, my addictions <laughs> is doing a podcast like this. Yeah. Because in the process of this podcast, I have to look at you and I have to listen to you and I have to hear things that you're saying and then anticipate where I might want to come back to. And sometimes the conversation moves away from me, but I'm, I've done this long enough now that as you're talking, I'm genuinely listening because I'm listening to like, Oh, that's a good point. I have a point to that. I have to remember that. (laughs) And 
and I can't be on my phone and do that. I can't look at, I don't yeah. really write. I actually wrote a couple notes and then I've discarded it because I'm, I'm in the moment, mm-hmm. right? I'm in a conversation yeah. with you and how often have we lost this? I mean, we're, we're via an app obviously, but it's, it's, it's a conversation between you and me and there's not those distractions. And it's different than a phone call where if you're on a phone call, you can you can be off screen, kind of scrolling, half listening. If uh, hell, half the time when we're, we're t- when people talk in person or go to dinner, they're kind of half listening. Yeah. But for when I do this once a week, and I'm just talking to whomever I'm talking to, and I'm just listening to you, and and the only thing I'm really focusing on is the conversation. When I come out of this, it almost feels like its own form of meditation it's like i've really just been in this subject matter strictly Uh, and any tangents that sort of arise arise because of something said not like oh i gotta check to see what who posted some food photos yeah exactly no that's a good point and that's kind of a lot of like what get out of tm you know you come out of it and it's almost like a waking nap it's not Mm -hmm. like you really go to sleep running i mean sometimes i have gone I don't want to say blacked out, but you go and kind of into the hole where you like completely lose where you are mm-hmm. in a good way. Or mm-hmm. suddenly like you realize, well, I've been meditating. Like, um, which David Lynch, I think does a, is for one of the people that is able to do that all the time, but I'm not always able to get there. But, um, but yeah, one thing I found, yeah. Um, I think it's like working out or again, like you said, being a conversation, being really focused on something, it does give you that meditative, um, effect, I think. And I think part of it is just sort of like turning off that inner voice. And that's a lot of what TM is for me. It's like you sort of take this inner voice and um, it's kind of constantly going in your head and you replace it with the mantra slowly over time. And eventually, Mm -hmm. hopefully that that fades away too. And then you're kind of into nothingness and um, which I'm usually able able to achieve depending on how, you know, amped up I am or him. But I think that when, um, I think you do get, it's interesting because sometimes I'll do it and it'll be almost like not really dreaming, but I don't feel like you're in that um, sort of pre-sleep mode where you're kind of like your mind just wandering. Mm -hmm. And and so it's not really like my mind is really quiet, but it's not really like under my control. Um, And so I think it's kind of like similar to probably what happens in the conversation where you, you just um, get distracted for long enough that you, your mind isn't like what they call monkey mind, you know, where it's just running around and doing all that. It's like, I think that that's helpful too. And I think that, um, you know, I was talking to somebody, an actor I work with and some of meditation and he said, well, I don't really meditate. He's like, but you know, I run every day and it's kind of like, I just empty my mind. And I think that Mm -hmm. there is a lot of value to that too. Like I'm not really, you know, I'm not a spokesperson for TM or anything. I, I do practice it and everything, but I think that just finding, you know, someone who doesn't want to do that, you know, doesn't want to take a class or doesn't want to meditate. I think that finding those times um, to either like exercise or just go for a little walk, you know, put your phone down and just walk away. And I think I was doing it on my last job too, is, you know, we were at a studio. So, you know, around lunch or somewhere around, I would just disappear for like 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes and walk around the lot, you know, walk between the stages and not really go by our stage necessarily, or if we're working or if we're out on location, but just like go, I mean, I would have my phone with me, but I wouldn't really pick it up or anything unless it was, you know, an urgent call. But, but I think that if you can find those moments too, um, you know, you're going to get a lot of the same effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what I would kind of encourage people that, um, 
well, especially in our business is just find that like, and even if it is like a light nap or just getting away from everything, just try to do that at least twice a day, you know, and definitely yeah. like kind of like, I think the after lunch one or before lunch is really helpful because it did help me a lot with, you know, that after lunch crash. So. Yeah. And I, I've often said uh, movement begets movement. Yeah. When I first got into martial arts, well, when I first started getting in shape, I then felt strong and lighter. And then I wanted to try martial arts, which I'd always wanted to do. Right. So then I, I started doing martial arts, which then made me want to eat healthier because when you go to do mm-hmm. jujitsu and someone puts a neon belly and you've had a pizza the, the day prior, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not a pleasant feeling. No. So now you start eating healthy, right? Well, I'm, I want to be optimally strong. So I'm going to go work out more on, outside of the, just the jujitsu yeah. and oh, I'm going to start getting more sleep. Oh, I'm going to stop drinking as much. And so in that same way that movement begets movement, I think stillness begets stillness. Mm-hmm. And if you can find moments where you're like, one thing I do when I, when I'm at home and I take my dog for a walk is I will, um, I'll put classical music on. I try to put music that doesn't have lyrics on. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I put the phone, you know, I, obviously it's it's on my phone, right? We're, we've moved past the age of iPad or iPods or whatever, but, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll put the phone in a pocket that I'm not easily going to reach. And I, and I use the wireless headphones so I don't have to reach for it. And I don't put it in the front pocket if I'm if I'm going to put my hands in my pockets. Right? I don't want it to touch my skin, mm-hmm. and I just want to just lose myself in the music and and the surrounding area. So when I take my dog out, I'm not distracted by words. I'm just letting the music sort of play in the background, and I'm just sort of observing the world around me. Uh-huh. And that that's a form of meditation. Yeah, um, definitely. The the running, same thing. That you get that runner's high, and you sort of lose yourself in that moment, or or doing the martial arts, right? Mm-hmm. All those things doing this podcast, anytime I find that you can lose yourself in an activity or a moment where you're not thinking about what came before or what will come soon, you free yourself. And once you free yourself of that, you start to crave those moments more. When I'm consistent with my ritual work, I want to do ritual work all the time. Yeah, I want to, I'm online less. I'm, uh, you'll always know when I'm more consistent in my ritual work or not. It depends on my online usage. You'll, you'll, the more you see me online, I've probably fallen off the wagon, so to speak. Yeah. Um, try to stay off the social media so much. Yeah. Look, if you eat healthy, you generally want to eat healthy. It's just the way it works. I don't know why it works that way, but I think when we, we have a, a society that does not want our bodies and our minds and our spirits to be healthy. So once we give it a little bit of healthiness, once you give it a little bit of vitamins, <laughs> your, your body craves more. It craves that because that's what it's built to be. And so, uh, you know, if people listening to this are saying, Oh, you know, this transcendental meditation sounds interesting, but it's a little much for me, or I'm not quite there yet. Then just like you said, go on a walk and put your phone away or, or read a one, one thing I've recommended on this podcast before is start the day with reading a poem out oh, loud. Poetry is good. Yeah. Out loud in particular, because when you say things out loud, you're, you're, you're less distracted. Cause what I find when I read silently, I will sometimes glide over the words mm-hmm. like it's a cliff notes. But when I speak it out loud in the same way that I'm speaking in this podcast, I've got to focus a bit more on, pronouncing the words correctly, yeah. reading them correctly, the what have you. Exactly. So then you're, focus, you're focusing more on the task at hand and not other things in your peripheral. So yeah. there's lots of ways to get to this point, but I, w- I hope 
that over the course of this, that people have sort of been impressed upon the importance of finding those moments and, and how beneficial it can be to, to, to implement it in one's life in whatever manner speaks to them. Yeah, I agree. Because I think when, you know, like I was on the slash shows on location, so I was sort of a little sequestered, but I really got into, um, especially toward the second half of the show when we were a little more under control and things were a little more worked out, but of, you know, make sure I meditated twice a day and, and also eating really well and exercising and it just helps tremendously. And I think that, um, yeah, like you said, it begets the motion, begets motion, stillness, begets stillness. I found that I wanted to, um, yeah, as I did it more, I wanted to do it more. I wanted to, um, do better on my diet, do better on my exercise, do better on work and mm-hmm. be more organized. And like I said, be ahead instead of, you know, catching up, you know, constantly, which is, I mean, where I try to be, but sometimes it's hard day in and day out. So I think that having this kind of routine, definitely it's a good way to start the day too, I think, because, you know, they talk about like making your bed and things like that, starting out with something that you achieve. And I think the good thing about meditation is it's sort of something where you don't have to do anything really <laughs> to, to achieve yeah. it, you know, like basically, which kind of can be hard tonight, but just sit there still for 20 minutes, you know, yeah. um, you know, it's like pretty much like everybody wants to be a couch potato anyway. So this way you can do it with like, if you have an excuse, but no, I just feel like that uh, it's definitely. And again, like you said, the bigger thing, I, I think for, especially in the film business or any businesses, finding those times could, because you can, the film business will happily occupy you 24 seven. And sometimes that can be great. You know, it's very addicting and it's very easy to like jump from one show to the next and to like work the, like you said, the 18 hour days, the 20 hour days or however, be prideful. Like, Hey, I only slept four hours in, in my car out in the back behind, <laughs> behind the stage. Cause I, you know, yeah. um, but it's like, and it's great when you're younger. I mean, if you want to do that once in a while and if you're into it, but but I think if you want to have any longev- longevity and also um, if you want to do good work, it's really important that you um, take care of yourself and, and find those times. And I think, like I said, mentally, it's like to quiet your mind a couple times a day is very helpful. I agree. So for anyone who is listening to this podcast and they're interested in anything that we've said, what would be like your recommendations for people to get interested in transcendental meditation or find some resources to introduce it? themselves to it and, and, you know, began down a path. Yeah. I mean, I would say you can search transcendental meditation. I don't, you know, I haven't been on another website, like there's local classes there. Um, I mean, you have to pay for them. They're, they're not always cheap. I don't know, but um, you can read a lot about, it. I mean, if you read David Lynch is catching the big fish, his book, I think is a good way to start, especially if you like David Lynch. Um, I mean, Russell Simmons sort of fell out of favor, uh, because of things that have been going on, but he has a couple of books on meditation and like veganism and things that are good. I think that um, I would check into that. Like I would recommend maybe reading David Lynch's book or just, you know, searching around for it. Um, and then as far as uh, trying to think other things spiritually wise, I mean, that would be sort of where I would start. And if you're into TM, I mean, another thing you could do is just start, practicing meditation, you know, and, and I think the important thing to remember is like, like you're saying, your mind is not going to, you're not going to just get into this quiet place immediately. It's more about like stilling your mind or however you do, like, you know, you have a ritual, you know, you're saying ritual magic that you do. It's finding that thing that, that quiets your mind 
and it might be even art or something like maybe you like to paint or sculpt, I would say, you know, take that class, try to find that thing that you can do um, once or twice a day that's just going to like detach you for a little bit and let you find your, you know, kind of get back to yourself. So. Excellent. I, I think that's wonderful advice. Well, Billy, thank you so much. I'm I appreciate welcome. taking time to yeah. catch up with you and See you again. Yeah, man. Likewise. And, and chat a little bit about this. I think that, um, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but it's inspired me. Once we hang up, I'll probably go meditate now just cause I've, I already, again, I did it this morning, so I'm good, but I'll do excellent. Later, excellent. a couple hours. There you go. You know, stillness begets stillness. So there thanks again. Go. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And, uh, we'll have to get a, a break bread whenever I get home or, yeah, or if I meet, meet somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with the rest of your show. All right. Thank you, brother. I want to thank Billy once again for coming on the show and sharing his experience and perspective as it relates to transcendental meditation. I think that in life we are guided by a current of hurry up, of grind away, of speed in every aspect of our society. We're, we're uh, motivated and um, convinced that the way to live a productive life is to wake up early, go to sleep late, and to push ourselves beyond a naturalistic pace in order to achieve as much production as possible. And while it's certainly important to find things that you love to do and to uh, make use of your hands, I think that too often the, the we get so caught up in what we are doing that we forget to stop and be present in what's going on around us. And I loved Billy's perspective on how that can help him in the film industry. And I really enjoyed this. I, I, I It really has, since we recorded this episode, motivated me to incorporate five or ten minutes into my day. And I have noticed a huge and profound uh, improvement on my uh, anxiety and my focus and just my overall restfulness. So I encourage you all to try, whether it's with a TM or any kind of meditation or just taking a stroll or reading a poem or uh, you know, having a stretch, doing yoga, whatever it is that you do that allows you to be present for just a little while, I encourage you to undertake it with some uh, regularity. So thank you all very much for listening. And until next time, gold rings on you all. 